Hi, Unfortunate History listeners. This is Cody. I just wanted to give you a special warning for this particular episode to let you know that the things we discuss about midway through the episode are very graphic, so they are not suitable for younger audiences or for anyone that has issues listening to information pertaining to murder, sexual assault, or anything of that nature. So if you are a younger listener or adverse to those types of material, I would check out another one of our episodes without graphic warnings. We decided to do this episode so quickly after doing our previous graphic episode because during our research, this particular topic popped up and I felt that it needed its own episode. So we decided to do a deep dive into it. And it does get very graphic, but we did include a couple of things that add some levity to the episode, like some interesting Toy Story information and a couple of ridiculous stories from my time in high school. So we hope you enjoy this episode, but again, please do take this as your trigger warning. I hope you enjoy the show, and as always, thank you for your support. This is Unfortunate History. There's a fucking fly in here, and I know that's going to pick it up on the moor. Fuck off. The window's there. Little shit. I'm trying to release you. <laughs> Greg has a fly in his studio. <laughs> I don't think he knows that I'm still recording. Thank fuck for that. <laughs> what an intro. Now that that's over, I'm going to use that as an intro, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's up, everybody? This is Cody Pennington. And this is Greg Skinner. And welcome to Unfortunate History, the podcast that covers the wacky, interesting, and unfortunate moments in history. And Greg, I, I, I am uh, flabbergasted with this topic. I am haunted. I am... I don't know. I don't even know what how to explain this. I I've had nightmares of this topic. What really? This is an awful topic. It's the okay, worst. Okay, I'm really excited for it, and especially considering this is the earliest we've ever recorded a podcast. So this should set me up for the day deliciously. Yeah, you're gonna have a pretty rough day, Greg. Because uh, today we are going to be discussing the rape of Nan King. Oh, for I know about this. Yeah, it's... I know about this topic, and it is rough. It is seriously one of the most disturbing things I've ever read about in my entire life. And mm-hmm. it's haunting the information that I've found. Not just the information, but also the sources. There are video and photographic evidence of this happening, and it's haunting. It's disturbing ah. beyond relief. So, you listeners now, you should know this is obviously going to be a very graphic topic. Yeah. Let me let me say how we got onto this topic, because actually the idea for this topic um, was more to discuss Japan, uh, Japan's actions during World War II. Japanese war crimes, basically. Not, yeah, not necessarily, just more about their actions, because... Um, we have another topic. I'll go ahead and say it. We have another topic coming up in the near future. Uh, we were going to going to discuss Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. And my idea was to discuss the lead up to Pearl Harbor in a multiple part series that would basically describe why Pearl Harbor happened, what happened on the day of Pearl Harbor, that sort of stuff. And one of the main things that led to Pearl Harbor was the rape of Nanking. Yeah. Um, 
because as we'll get into during the story, we'll discuss it in a bit, but um, the rape of Nanking, I mean, that was pretty much just after the second Sino-Japanese war broke out. And some people call the start of that war, they consider that to be the actual beginning of World War II. Oh, really? Yeah, some, some people do. We'll discuss that in a little bit. But basically, this whole thing led up to, war, led up to um, Pearl Harbor. And my thought was like, okay, I'll discuss this a bit in the first part and blah, blah, blah. And then I thought, after reading some of this, I was like, this is fucking nuts. Why? Yeah. You, this has to be its own episode. Yeah, 100%. I've, I've, I've read stuff about this and I've listened to other podcasts about this subject. Don't mention is. other podcasts. Okay. Let's, this is the only out. podcast in the world. <laughs> no, this is the only one that's ever done it. We're, we're the only ones with the balls to do it. Um, but no, I, I, actually, it's one, one of those episodes where I know bits about it as well, and I know how rough this is. Well, that's fantastic, because you can add some stuff to this if you'd like. Because um, uh, I was thinking maybe we should start getting you to add more to the podcast anyways. Instead of just sitting there adding a couple of jokes every now and then, you lazy bastard. <laughs> let, me just, let me just end call. <laughs> <laughs> No, just kidding. Well, no, just, you are. You're, you're being dead serious. I know you are. <laughs> well, just prior to World War II, during the Second Sino-Japanese War, the Japanese invaded the then capital of nationalist China, Nanking, which is actually now referred to as Nanjing. So throughout this episode, I'm going to try to refer to it as Nanjing, but I named it Nanking because most people know the rape of Nanking. If they're going to search for that, they're going to search for Nanking. They're not going to search for Nanjing. Yeah, But just know the correct term now is Nanjing, which I'll be using throughout the rest of this episode. Now, what followed this invasion of Nanjing has become known as one of the most monstrous acts of war, comparable even to the actions of the Germans a few years afterwards. I think, I think it's worse. It is definitely horrific. And today we'll cover what led to the rape of Nanking and why it most certainly lived up to its name. Mm-hmm. Look, look. You would, I'm already lost for words with it. Um, how it just like the name, like the rape of Nanking. That's exactly what it was. Like it's hard to describe that. So, listeners, just listen until the end. Most of the very graphic stuff occurs in the last half of this episode. Mm-hmm. But just listen and try to even understand the the numbers we're going to give you on this. It's insane. It's it is mm-hmm. it is it is honestly insane. Now, I think to start the story, kind of similar to what I wanted to do with the Pearl Harbor, Pearl Harbor episode, um, we're going to start with what happened to lead up to the rape of Nanking and mm-hmm. kind of start with a bit of Japanese and Chinese relations, because that's really important to this story. Never been great, has it? No, it hasn't actually. See, the relationship between the Chinese and the Japanese is super complicated. It is one of the most complicated things. Let me just say right now, I don't know how we're going to make this episode funny. <laughs> I don't know how we're going to do it. <laughs> Let's get the chuckles out in the early bits before we get into the nitty-gritty, and then we are fucked. Certainly, absolutely. Um, now, like I said, the relationship be- between the Chinese and the Japanese is very complicated. I mean, it stretches as far back as the 1600s into a time that was actually known as the Tokugawa period. And at this point, Japan had decided to completely isolate itself from the rest of the world in an attempt to strengthen itself as a nation and to strengthen its own culture. And this isolation included pushing out any forms of external cultural influences, including those provided from Chinese culture. Just like Brexit. 
Kind of. <laughs> We're doing it now. We're on a very dangerous slope here. Now, see, Japan essentially developed throughout generations to become very culturally specific. It has, and I mean, even to this day, Japan is its own place. You look at America. America is a melting pot, isn't it? Um, you oh, look yeah. at you look at Britain, even. Um, oh, it's multicultural. The takeout of Britain is a curry. <laughs> you know, what yeah. I mean? that is the that is the actual takeout of uh, uh, like the dish of England is a curry. So yeah. obviously it's a, it's a melting pot as well. But Japan is different. Japan is its own culture. It is a very culturally specific place. You go there. That's why crime is so uh, non prevalent there. That's you know what I mean. It's a very uh, they they have a very just different culture to anywhere else. And that really stems from this Tokugawa period. They got all the evil out during the Ripenang King, and they've been well behind ever since. Well, yeah, I, uh, no, I mean, we got Unit 731. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, yeah, there was that as well. Yeah. I suppose having a, a, a nuclear bomb dropped on you might, you know, straighten you out a bit. Yeah, man, we need to talk about that in a bit. I'll, I'll, I'll mention that in a bit. <laughs> now, fast forward slightly, and now Japan today, uh, or, well, at the time of this um, uh, of this issue with prior to the invasion of Nanking or Nanjing in the 30s and that, Japan is a strong and independent nation with a very strong respect for its culture. In a way, Japan kind of became very nationalist. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can compare that again to Brexit. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Japan essentially was kind of had that essentially had that ideology. They were a nationalist place. They're the best place. They're more evolved than other nations, including China. And see, alongside this, China was apparently struggling and declining at this time as a world power in the views of pretty much the whole world. Oh, really? When was this? The 30s? Yeah, yeah. They were struggling, not necessarily, you know, going into uh, immense amounts of debt or anything. They weren't going to fail as a country, but they were losing power as a global superpower. They're n they were nothing like they are today. I was going to say, it's hard to picture now with how China been the monstrous force it is now. Well, it's interesting because China today is obviously very communist. Uh, yeah, very. It's totally communist. But mm. around this time, it wasn't. Oh, really? No. I mean, obviously, correct me if I'm wrong, everybody. I didn't do a lot of political research on this episode. And I should probably tell you guys that I the research, uh, all of the sources that I used for this is just a plethora of different ones. A lot of different websites, some books and stuff. If you want to get a good book, I suppose, that talks about the, the terrible stuff, probably get, I think it's Soldiers Alive. Get that one. But uh, basically, there's a lot of plethora of all well, those. Like but, I said, this isn't exactly an obscure topic, is it? There's going to be a million and one sources oh, on this. there's a ton. You can Google it and you'll find everything you need to know. But... Um, the, I didn't actually look into the research on the political history of China, mm. but I do believe that China was actually not communist, fully communist yet, because this is one of the reasons Japan gave for invading China is to stop the spread of communism. <laughs> didn't work then? No, absolutely. They failed. I was, I was just wondering, would, would, would the Chinese flag have been different back then? I'm not sure, Greg. Don't, don't embarrass me. It's very much like a communist symbol, isn't it? The Chinese flag is red with oh the star. well well it could have just been turned into a communist i, uh, I don't again i don't i'm not an expert on flags or anything like that it just came to my mind i wonder if they're a different one if anybody has any flag podcasts why don't you let us know <laughs> i will be your main listener yeah well see like i said china was actually struggling and declining as a world power at this point and because of this and because of this japan lost a lot of respect for China, and generally gained a level of disdain for the entire country as a whole, and also, like we said, a little bit of the communism bits, but 
I personally don't think that was the whole story, and we'll discuss that in a moment. Because respect and honor is important to Japan, and that kind of thing. It is, yes. Well, this loss of respect from uh, for China led to a rise in anti-Chinese or xenophobic mentality within Japan. And then this, this culminated in what was known as the Mukden Incident. And this was actually a staged military event that the Japanese military used as an excuse to invade Manchuria in 1931. It was full-on staged. We're not going to get into this very much because we have a lot of other stuff to cover with the Nanjing Massacre. But basically, the Japanese uh, military faked this event to excuse to give them an excuse to invade manchuria in 1931 to essentially start their invasion of china really yeah so they i mean obviously they have a, a lot of different excuses for doing these invasions one was this mukden incident another was obviously uh to stop the spread of communism mm-hmm. and all that stuff and they even approached germany at one point and said look we're trying to stop the spread of communism you guys want to stop this too and germany was like whoa we don't want to do all this now <laughs> <laughs> you know when the Germans are like, I'm going to take a step back from you guys. <laughs> Especially during World War II. Oh, no. they, they, they were like, no, you guys yeah, are... Like, Those guys are crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it was basically all seemed to be a goal of Japan taking over Asia. That's what it seemed more likely to be. And they were finding excuses to do that. It almost sounds like for all the conspiracy theorists out there, what America did with 9-11 to invade Iraq. That's not really a conspiracy, is it? It's, it kind of happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it kind of happened. <laughs> well, following this invasion of China, the Japanese created the state of Munch, uh, I'm going to get this wrong, Manchukuo, uh, to replace Manchuria. They basically created their own puppet state that included northeast China and inner Mongolia. They invaded and took this area and made it into their own puppet state. So what you have here is Japan invading mainland China under false pretenses and claiming the land as their own. And this was obviously completely unacceptable to the Chinese, and they refused to acknowledge Manchukuo, Manchukuo as a state, um, obviously as they would. But they still allowed the Japanese to keep it, and the invasion of Manchuria was then ended by what was known as the Tangu Truce in 1933 between the two countries. And this was essentially just a ceasefire because throughout this whole time, there's a lot of random battles and attacks kind of just breaking out because obviously Japan's invading uh, China. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this truce was essentially a ceasefire, which did not actually, in fact, ceasefire. <laughs> <laughs> Well, following the instigation of this truce in 33, there were still a number of smaller incidents, quote-unquote incidents in the area. I mean, I say incidents um, because the Japanese argued that their actions in China were not of a war crime status because they were not war crimes. They were incidents because they hadn't actually declared war on each other just yet. So all of these little incidents were popping up in China against in, with the Japanese. But they weren't war crimes because it was, wasn't wartime. <laughs> uh, what's the dictionary definition of a war crime? <laughs> well, it has to be a crime committed during wartime, I suppose. But it's also the Geneva Convention, um, the Hague Convention, all of those types of uh, regulations around what can happen during war. They would regulate this. They would be regulating these actions that they're taking against each other because they were a part of those conventions. I still think it's, I still think it's mad that there are rules to war well there has to be 
can't. I know there has to be, but at the end of the day, it's still fucking war. Yeah, well, I mean, there's there's rules for the more civilized countries. A lot of other countries don't care. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. I got landmines banned now. I am not sure, but we will get to landmines in a bit. I'm pretty sure people are still getting blown up by them to this day. I'm sure they are. Well, there's still plenty in Afghanistan. I mean, IEDs in that. Plenty. Plentiful over there. Jesus. Well, with all of these instances, there was obviously still armed clashes between the Chinese and Japanese as they were slowly attempting to find peace after this invasion of China. Mm -hmm. Now, the major incident, there was quite a few, but the major one became known as the Marco Polo Bridge Incident. And this is referred to as, I'm definitely going to get this wrong, Lukuchao, 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 Lukuchao. As good as we're going to do. <laughs> as good as we're going to do. See, under what was referred to as the Boxer Protocol, all countries that had legations in Peiping, which is actually Beijing, mm. they were allowed the right to station guards along the railway between Beijing and Taijin. Now, a legation is a rank below an embassy. Basically, it's like a government office. If you had a government office in Beijing, you were allowed to have guards with you. Mm -hmm. Right? Does that make sense? Obviously, you want guards to protect your, your government office. Yeah, I'll get you. Like an embassy. Well, the British and French had an office in Beijing, uh, had a legation, and they had a combined total of less than 2,000 guards stationed there, combined, all together. And that mm -hmm. was also throughout the entire railway system between Beijing and Tianjin. Well, Japan had between seven to 15,000. Mm -hmm. So a small army. This was much more than was necessary for the Boxer Protocol. And this many troops actually allowed the Japanese army to pretty much already surround Beijing and Tianjin. 15 to 17,000 people, soldiers. 17, uh, seven to 15,000. Sorry if I got that wrong. I think I probably got it wrong, but that's still a lot. That's still a ton of soldiers and enough for them to already surround the cities had they had mm -hmm. the inclination to do so. But they were obviously mm -hmm. taking advantage of this boxer protocol to <laughs> increase their invasion under the radar. Yeah, they're essentially like, lawfully invading. Pretty much, yeah. We see the Japanese guards stationed near Marco Polo Bridge, they would actually perform night training or what was referred to as night maneuvers very frequently, much more frequently than the British and French and other people that had guards stationed there. But mm -hmm. these obviously tended to disturb the Chinese citizens, so the Chinese government asked the Japanese guards for advance warning before doing these night maneuvers. Realistically, just, you know, very nicely saying, can you please just let us know before this happens? Can you stop freaking out the civilians? Yeah, please, you know. You're literally running around in the night with knives and shit. Yeah. <laughs> the Japanese agreed to this, but on the night of the 7th of July, 1937, they carried out a night maneuver without notice. And this set a tense background to what was to lead to the Marco Polo Bridge incident, because tensions were already high. Mm -hmm. Now, at about 11 p.m. on July 7th, Japanese and Chinese forces outside of uh, Wanping, which was a district of Beijing, they exchanged fire. And the cause of this is actually not really known. <laughs> Nobody knows. I mean, I assume it was something to do with neither of them really liking each other. I'm sure somebody <laughs> just said, fuck your mama, fuck your mama. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know what I mean? It, I can imagine it's just some kind of weird spat that turned into guns firing. Yeah. This is something, uh, we just don't know the cause of it, but it basically just really instigated uh, kind of tense relations on that evening of July 7th. And that same evening, a Japanese soldier named Private Shimura Kikujuro 
failed to return to his post for a short length of time. I'm going to try my best with these names, but I'm really going to fuck them up. Um, but he failed to return to his post for a short length of time. So the Japanese forces were wondering where he was, and they used this to demand entry into Wanping to search for him. And the Chinese said, fuck no, you're not crossing that bridge, because if they crossed the bridge with a large number of men, this would give them an actual amazing foothold in China, because this was kind of a direct communication and supply line. Oh, really? So they weren't going to allow them to come into Wanping, but the Chinese did offer to search for the soldier themselves. But this didn't sit well with the Japanese, and they started to actually deploy reinforcements to surround the city of Wangping. Oh, they were waiting for this moment. <laughs> well, they did this even though, at this point, Private Shimura had already returned to his post. I knew that was coming. <laughs> he was already back. And the Japanese then sent a unit from their infantry to breach uh, the walls of Wangping, although they were pushed back. And at mm -hmm. 2 a.m., the mayor of Wangping, which is... Very shitty for this guy. He was sent to meet the Japanese at their camp to negotiate uh, just by himself. What? You don't do that with an, like an official. Well, they were quite nice. They were, you know, relatively nice to him. They didn't hurt him. And I think it was also oh. a, a matter of honor. They, they did sit down and negotiate, but the negotiation was completely fruitless. And the, uh, the Japanese still demanded entry into the city to investigate why the shots were fired in the first place. Who, who would have been the highest power at this point with, for the Japanese on where they were? Like, who uh, would have, where they who, were would be the general commander. Well, that would, would have been, it would have been their leader. Obviously, yeah. He'd been doing the negotiating. I, I obviously... I should have. I should know this, and I did read that, but I didn't make note of his name. But it would be the general commander of that force that was there, and he was the one that was negotiating with the mayor, okay. and he would have made all the decisions. Yeah. See, like I said, the Japanese were demanding entry into the city to investigate the disturbance that occurred, why the shots were fired, and that. And imagine that being the Chinese and having these people, uh, foreigners, Japanese, invading your country. And then demanding you to let them into their city so that they can do their own investigation. <laughs> the sheer nerve. Yeah. I mean, I personally would tell them to fuck off. I'd be like, you are, you are certainly barking up the wrong tree. Yeah. I, I, uh, what, <laughs> you know what I mean? What do you expect? Well, when, there's, Just, when there's seven to 15,000 of them, you're like, ooh. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, they were also very well trained, which we'll get to in a moment as well. But mm -hmm. well, with all the night operations they've been doing, I'm not surprised. Well, two hours after the negotiations failed, both Chinese and Japanese reinforcements arrived near the city, so their forces were growing quite big. Eventually, the Chinese opened fire on the Japanese forces at the Marco Polo Bridge, and this was also, as some believe, the beginning of World War II in general, but it was certainly the beginning of World War II in Asia. Mm -hmm. But okay. obviously, most people believe it's when the Nazis invaded Berlin, or, uh, sorry, was it Berlin? What, when the Nazis invaded, it weren't Berlin, Berlin's in Germany, isn't No, it? no, no, sorry. When they invaded uh, Poland. <laughs> Poland. Sorry, my, my apologies. I don't know why I <laughs> completely blanked on that. Uh, but most people believe that's when the start of World War II was. That's this when is site it was. Yeah, absolutely. This is when some people believe that the, especially the Asian uh, portion of the World War II began because Japan obviously continued on with the war uh, mm -hmm. when World War II broke out. And isn't this, isn't this what kind of ropes the Americans in as well? No, not yet. That was Pearl Harbor, pretty much. Yeah, I know, but it was because due to Japan's involvement that the Americans really upped their game when it comes to World War II. Uh, essentially, yeah. I mean, with Japan trying to take over all of Asia, um, 
that's why the U.S. ended up moving some of their forces to Hawaii for Pearl Harbor. We're going to get into that in the Pearl Harbor yeah. episode. Okay. Let's save that. We'll, we'll get to that in a, f- a future episode. Stay tuned. Now, at Marco Polo Bridge, a small group of Chinese soldiers were attempting to push back the Japanese forces. Very small. Kind of reminds me of the um, the episode of Digby Totham Water, actually, mm. where they were trying to take Arnhem Bridge. Now, yeah. if the Japanese were to take the bridge, like we said, that would give them a very uh, important foothold in China. And if they took it by force, then obviously they wouldn't stop. <laughs> yeah, there's no going back now. <laughs> yeah. So eventually the Chinese forces at the bridge, while suffering extreme casualties, I'm talking significant casualties, they were still able to keep the Japanese back. And luckily, negotiations began again, but this time it was actually between the two nations' governments, so way higher up. And this led to an agreement between the Chinese and the Japanese government where the Chinese would offer four things. First of all, the Chinese would apologize to the Japanese for firing on them first, which I think is fair. Okay. Seems very schoolyard. It is, yeah, but they said... Say sorry. Pretty much. Say you're sorry. I'm sorry. Mean it. I'm sorry. That's pretty much war, man. I guess it is. (laughs) The Chinese also agreed that there would be punishment administered on those at fault, which I guess, again, is is, uh, understandable. Um, They also uh, provided that instead of being under the control of the Chinese military, the district of Wenping would instead be turned over to the Hopei, I think it is, Hopei's Chinese constabulary. Uh, It's more of a civilian constabulary instead of being Mm -hmm. ran by the Chinese government. Or Chinese military. So, essentially makes them less guarded. <laughs> kind of, I guess, if you'd see that. I, I suppose they just didn't want the go- the military in charge. So, the mili- if the Japanese military tried to do anything with the city, they wouldn't be arguing with another military, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And then the Chinese also uh, provided that they would agree to control the spread of communism in the area, which obviously worked a dream. <laughs> However, the Japanese commander at the battle at Wamping rejected the truce initially, and he continued to attack, to attack the city. Uh, just, just him, like, nope, not listening to anyone. Well, not just him. He had his forces continue to yeah, attack the city. I know, but I just see it's, like, it's, I know it's not a small group. He's got a like, saber just swinging it at the wall. <laughs> well, he continued attacking the city until he was finally forced to cease fire, and his forces were moved to the northeast of China. Now... Although a truce had been gained, the damage was done at this point, and the Chinese and Japanese were totally at war. Mm-hmm. And Japan was fully invested in invading China, to mm-hmm. the fullest extent. <clears throat> they wanted it. There were a number of very interesting battles between now and the Nanking Massacre, most notably the Battle of Shanghai, which actually resulted in 290,000 casualties. Fuck. This battle, um, I didn't want to go into detail on that on this episode because it deserves its own episode. It's a huge battle. It lasted about six months of just the Battle of Shanghai. It's a very, very, very big and in-depth story for that. Well, I, I, I feel like the majority of those casualties would have been Chinese. Uh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, the, yeah. the, the Japanese forces were generally greatly outnumbered and still mm-hmm. took most of the cities that they attacked. Mm. Um, but for now, we're just going to yada, yada, yada over a few of the details. Uh, <laughs> just know that, that the Japanese and Chinese relations just didn't get any better. Yeah, no, and they're not going to get any better. Well, this actually started the Japanese's march into China. Now, see, 
Nanjing was, at this time, the capital of China instead of Beijing as it is today. So throughout the Second Sino-Japanese War, it would have obviously been the Japanese forces' ultimate target. Yeah. This is the place we need to get to. We need to take the capital. The issue with the Chinese soldiers at Nanjing is that they were much less organized than the Japanese army. Even mm-hmm. though the Chinese greatly outnumbered them, like I said, the Japanese had a significant advantage in their fighting strength and experience and were able to take the city of Nanjing relatively easily. And then the Chinese pretty much surrendered. That's all that happened. They, they marched on Nanjing, attacked it, and the Chinese surrendered. There's no more to tell about that part of the story. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think so, without coming, I think it, it would have been better to die fighting. It probably would have been, yeah. Yeah. More than three quarters of the population of the city of Nanjing had actually fled prior to the arrival of the Japanese. Smart. But this still left a large number of people, including uh, 90,000 odd Chinese soldiers. So really. quite a few soldiers and quite a few civilians. I mean, you're talking hundreds of thousands of total of people. That's a big force. That's a big military force. Oh, no, no. There was 90,000 soldiers and then out of civilians included. And the number of people there at Nanjing was around, was a couple hundred thousand. That's what I'm saying. But I mean, like the 90,000, that's not, a, that's an army. It is. Yeah. And they were still beaten back very easily. I suppose it shows sort of numbers don't mean everything. And plus the Japanese have this sort of never surrender mentality, don't they? Exactly. They'll sooner sooner die than turn around and run. That's that's 100% true, which is what we'll discuss in a moment. Mm -hmm. But this large number of people in China, or sorry, this large number of people in Nanjing, this gave the Japanese forces an opportunity to subject the Chinese population to incredible cruelty. And this is where things are going to get very, 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 very brutal. So if you are listening without headphones, you probably put headphones in. If you're a child, turn this off now. You've already Mm -hmm. learned enough about Chinese-Japanese relations. Mm -hmm. Definitely just be warned. This information is awful. It's absolutely terrible. Real bad. Now, at one point during the invasion of Nanjing, the deputy minister of military of Japan notified the Japanese troops in China that they were to stop using the term prisoner of war when referring to the Chinese. Mm-hmm. Their goal was to remove the constraints of international law on the treatment of any Chinese prisoners. Okay. We discussed this a bit earlier. Normally, there are rules to how POWs are to be kept. If you capture capture prisoners of war, you are responsible for their well-being. You have to feed them. You have to give them medical care. You have to do certain things to keep them alive, at the very least. You have to do the bare minimum of human it's rights. Pretty much, yeah. Like, literally a sliver of bread and cheese every other day, or very, very small stuff. I just got a vision of a dude, like a checkboard, like, who comes out to view these things, like, hmm, yep, fed, technically, still alive. Okay, you pass. Well, this is guy, like, literally wasting away. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Japanese forces in Nanjing used this lifting of international law by their Japanese government to their advantage. The Chinese soldiers that surrendered were disposed of by the Japanese in various ways. To the Japanese, mm-hmm. Greg, to your point, surrendering was seen as the ultimate act of cowardice. Mm-hmm. So they viewed these Chinese soldiers as less than human and completely undeserving of life. Very, very Unit 731 sounding. Definitely. Many of these soldiers were taken to the, I'm going to get this wrong, Yangtze? 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 Yangtze River, something along those lines. And Mm -hmm. they were shot to death by machine guns. The Japanese 
would tie the hands of the POWs together and divide them into four columns before just opening fire and mowing down groups of them with the POWs just thrashing and screaming, unable to move whatsoever. And then they would just dump the bodies in the river Mm. or into mass graves. The Japanese also gathered over a thousand Chinese soldiers and civilians at Taiping Gate. Uh, I think, uh, sorry, I think Taiping might be the wrong term, but either way, they, they took them to this gate and they then they then blew up these prisoners with landmines. Fucking hell. Afterwards, they would douse all of them with gasoline and set them on fire. And then anyone that survived that was then stabbed to death with bayonets um, and stabbed multiple times. Over a large majority of these victims had over 40, 30, at least over uh, 30 wounds from bayonets one of those moments where being tough does not serve you well you want to go straight away don't you yeah well some westerners in the city at the time of the massacre uh they were there living in the city of uh nanjing at the time and they were actually not really subjected to these this cruelty by the japanese and they decided to stay in the city and thought it would be very beneficial to report what they were seeing oh really So, so they were left alone they were left relatively alone yeah i mean a lot of them talk about the Japanese soldiers going door to door, and when they get to their homes, they just ask them some, them some questions, and then they leave. They saw the Chinese specifically as less than human. Okay. But the Westerners, we're talking, uh, I think, a couple of British people and uh, Americans, they saw them hmm. as no threat or no, they didn't really care. Okay. Well, a couple of news correspondents reported seeing corpses of the Chinese soldiers piled in mounds Six feet high. Multiple mounds. That's a lot of body. And one of the reporters also witnessed the Japanese soldiers gun down 200 POWs within 10 minutes. 200 people dead. Less than 10 minutes. And he also witnessed tank guns used to essentially disintegrate bound soldiers. Jesus Christ. They're just having fun at this point, aren't they? Pretty much, yeah. And it gets so much worse. Uh, the same reporter also stated that some Japanese units, uh, to be fair, <laughs> I guess to be fair, uh, they actually didn't partake in this in the barbarous activity. Some of the units weren't actually doing this, but there were a majority of them that absolutely were doing this. Or if there were a minority, there were still way too many people doing this. Yeah, there's still a lot of psychopaths out there. <laughs> yeah. Well, another witness, a missionary named Ralph Phillips, he testified that he was actually forced to watch the Japanese disembowel a Chinese soldier, roast his heart and liver, and eat them. There's there's no funny twist on it, is there? Yeah, I don't know how we can make this funny. I don't know how we can do it. It's going to get very, very brutal now. Mm -hmm. uh, Because the murders of the soldiers were brutal, but the Japanese soldiers committed much more depraved acts on the civilians of Nanjing. Yeah. Which led to the death of thousands, thousands of city residents. Brutally as well. You may wonder how the term rape of Nanking developed. And it's as obvious as it sounds. The Japanese soldiers are estimated to have raped twenty to 80,000 women, including children and the elderly. Just, it's, it's just, I knew it was coming. I know the story. I knew it was coming, and it's still just as shocking. Yeah. Well, this is going to get really brutal here because we're going to have quotes from people that either witnessed what happened, uh, witnessed evidence of what happened or 
people that actually went through it. We're, we're going to be just giving some quotes here. So uh, be warned that these are really, really brutal. Mm-hmm. Now, the Japanese soldiers were said to have gone door to door, specifically searching for girls, just looking for women to rape. And the women they found were then captured and gang raped. Following the rapes, the women were then killed by some form of mutilation or by penetrating the vaginas with bayonets, long sticks of bamboo, or other objects. It's just different levels of depravity, and you can understand soldiers killing soldiers. Yeah. But this is just... It's awful. It's thinking of ways to torture people. It's, it's yeah. finding ways to, to, to submit them to the most cru- cruelty as possible, the most cruel acts as possible. Mm. Um, well, one reverend who was there wrote of the system, uh, systemic rape in his diary. He wrote this, quote, I know not where to end. Never have I heard or read such brutality. Rape, rape, rape. We estimate at least a thousand cases a night and many by day. In case of resistance or anything that seems like disapproval, there is a bayonet stab or a bullet. People are hysterical. Women are being carried off every morning, afternoon, and evening. The whole Japanese army seems to be free to go and come as it pleases and do whatever it pleases. And then one of the Japanese soldiers uh, spoke in a documentary, actually, in a documentary called In the Name of the Emperor, about the massacre and specifically about the rape. And this is what that Japanese soldier said. He said, quote, At first, we used some kinky words like pukankan, or pikankan, I think is how you pronounce it. P means hip, and kankan means look. Pikankan means let's see a woman open up her legs. Chinese women didn't wear underpants. Instead, they wore trousers tied with a string, and there was no belt. As we pulled the string, the buttocks were exposed. We pecan-can. We looked. After a while, we would say something like, It's my day to take a bath, and we would take turns raping them. It would be all right if we only raped them. I shouldn't say all right, but we always stabbed and killed them because dead bodies don't talk. (sighs) Fuck you know, man. You're admitting it. (laughs) Fuck, you know, man, this is nuts. This is absolutely yeah. insane. Uh, God, how do we, how do we make, how do we lighten up the mood a bit? There's, there's, there's nothing for this. We've got to plow through. Uh, let's, uh, let's look up weird facts. <laughs> here's, here's weird facts about the Toy Story movies. <laughs> In Toy Story's early drafts, Woody was a jerk. Was he Japanese? <laughs> <Come on. laughs> I can't get off the subject now. <laughs> Let me just read this. In early drafts of Toy Story, Woody was, to put it lightly, a stone-cold jerk, verbally abusing abusing Slinky Dog, and intentionally pushing Buzz out the bedroom window into Sid's yard. The Pixar team eventually realized that no one would want the kids, uh, want to watch kids, oh gosh, that no one would want to watch a kid's movie where the main character was such a dick, so they altered Woody's character to make him a well-meaning and kind, rather than a cruel, tyrannical leader of the toys. I don't think even, um... I don't think, uh, what is his name that played played Woody? Um, Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks, thank you. I knew it was Tom. I thought I was going to say Tom Cruise. Can you imagine Tom Cruise as, <laughs> as Hardy, Woody? from? always end up back on Tom Hardy. <laughs> Tom Hardy, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, you fucking, what you fucking say, Buzz? <laughs> you oh, fuck up no. my, my, my kid's room, mate. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not even going to do it. I'm not jumping into character today. Well, let's jump back in. <laughs> <laughs> Well, even more depraved than the forced rape, 
the Chinese were also forced by the Japanese to commit incestuous acts. Mm. Sons were forced to rape their mothers, and fathers were forced to rape their daughters. Oh, fuck. And even further to that, not all of the victims were women. Some of the Chinese men were also sodomized. Oh. Nah. It's just, it's... It's horrible. Uh, <laughs> there's just no words for it. Like The Japanese continued to massacre the Chinese civilians in a systemic genocide. Some of this horror was actually caught on tape by a missionary leaving, uh, living in the city, uh, a Reverend John McGee. And this footage was actually, would actually go on to be used in the trials to come, which we'll get to in a moment. Mm-hmm. My God, this footage is fucking haunting uh, there's there, yeah i watched it in the uh, for the episode there is footage of um well one there's a doctor's office that has a ton of chinese uh, patients and i mean there's just burns on people's faces and there's um a oh, good god there's a uh, bone sticking out of their wrists and elbows and uh one woman was uh beaten and raped and stabbed 29 times while she was pregnant and she was um i believe they went on both of them went on to survive i believe um and it's horrific i mean there's photos of dead children that this reverend was was able to get i mean they they needed it because they wanted to spread the news of what was happening because they knew that if the entire city was just exterminated nobody would know what happened yeah um just talk and this is i mean it's incredible it's 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 awful to see this. I mean, I'm talking, there's mutilated photos that you can find if you Google it. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just horrific. It's haunting. It's, it's the most disturbing stuff I've ever seen in my entire life. So this stuff happened. This is a hundred percent true. I mean, the Mm -hmm. stuff we're talking about, you think, Oh my God, that's a bit much. It's, it legitimately happened. There's video evidence of, of objects or there's, there's footage or there's at least uh, photos of objects being placed inside of women you know what Fuck. I mean? It's it's horrible. The depths of depravity that the humans can that human beings can go to is it's it's terrible, man. It, it, again, this stuff happens. You know, I mean, like, we we are more than capable of it as a species. Yeah. Well, here is um, a German legation secretary speaking on the things that Reverend McGee was able to capture um, in the f- videos and films, and it, that he captured the aftermath of this happening. But um, the German secretary learned about the entire thing that went on um, because there's videos, there's literally footage of the aftermath of this. Now, this is a big, this is a long quote. This is very intense. So, On December 13th, about 30 soldiers came to a Chinese house at number five, uh, I think it's Hsing Luku, in the southeastern part of Nanjing and demanded entrance. The door was opened by the landlord, a Mohammedan, Mohammedan? Yeah, a Mohammedan named Ha. They killed him immediately with a revolver, and also Mrs. Ha, who knelt before them after Ha's death and begged them not to kill anyone else in the house, because there were quite a few other people in this house. Mm -hmm. Mrs. Ha asked them why they killed her husband, and they instantly shot her. Fuck. Now, Mrs. Hasia was dragged from under the table in the guest hall where she had tried to hide with her one-year-old baby. After being stripped and raped by one or more men, she was bayoneted in the chest and then had a bottle thrust into her vagina. The baby was killed with a bayonet. 
Some soldiers then went to the next room, where Mrs. Hassia's parents, aged 76 and 74, and her two daughters, aged 16 and 14, were. They were about to rape the young girls when the grandmother tried to protect them, and the soldiers killed her with a revolver. The grandfather grasped the body of his wife, and he was also killed. The two girls were then stripped, the elder being raped by two to three men and the younger by three men. The older girl was stabbed afterwards, and a cane was rammed into her vagina. The younger girl was bayoneted also, but was spared the horrible treatment that had been meted out on the sister and mother. The soldiers then bayoneted another sister between the age of seven to eight, who was also in the room. The last murders in the house were Ha's two children, aged four and two, respectively. The older was bayoneted, and the younger was split through the head with a sword. Fucking hell. That is fucking awful. It's bad. That's real bad. Oh, God. Okay. Um, That's rough. This story is rough. It's whole, this is the worst thing I've ever read in my entire it, life. It's, it's more rough than I remember it being. I want to quit the podcast. <laughs> I want to quit the show. Yeah, I think this should be the end. <laughs> I want to quit the show. This is it, everybody. Um, it doesn't get much more unfortunate than this. Toy Story's Jessica or Jesse character was originally meant to be Senorita Cactus. Originally, Jesse was a Mexican woman named Senorita Cactus who, quote, was to sway Woody with her feminine wiles. You know, a sexy cactus. I was going to say, that's... <laughs> that is very unsexy. That's the most yeah. unsexy thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Yeah, the rubber that, that thing got about the thing got planned because it didn't do it. They didn't do it. No, she's ooh, she was she was probably a little too prickly. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <gasps> back to the rape. Um, yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ, this is so rough, man. Um, listeners, uh, I'm sorry if you stop listening to the podcast because of this episode. I totally understand. It's bad. It's very very bad. Mm-hmm. It's bad, but. Uh, it's a historical podcast about unfortunate things, and again, it doesn't get much worse than this. We need to we need to call attention to all this stuff. This stuff needs to be known, and it needs to be mm-hmm. known so that we don't repeat history in that. It needs to be talked about. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, pregnant women were actually targeted for abuse and murder, and their stomachs were often bayoneted, sometimes after rape. And one witness to the mass killings testified and said this, quote, The seventh and last person in the first row was a pregnant woman. The soldier thought he might as well rape her before killing her. So he pulled her out of the group to a spot about 10 meters away. And he was trying to rape her, but the woman resisted fiercely. The soldier abruptly stabbed her in the belly with a bayonet. And she gave a final scream as her intestines spilled out. Then... The soldier stabbed the fetus with its umbilical cord clearly visible and tossed it aside. Fucking hell. I've heard that story. I know about that one. Again, it's still just as shocking. The Japanese finally used a trumpet sound that was a signal to kill all of the Chinese who ran away and all of the Chinese available, I suppose. Thousands of Chinese were led to a large excavation known as the 10,000 Corpse Ditch. And this was a trench that measured 300 meters long and 5 meters wide. The Chinese were then murdered and tossed into this ditch. And most consider the number of people buried in this one trench to be around 12,000 Chinese. 
In one trench. In one trench. Jesus Christ, man. This is rough. Let's do one. That's that's pretty much the end of all the uh, terrible stuff. Let's let's do one more uh, quick. Here we go. The Toy Story 3 animation team shaved their heads. Why? Early in the production, they shaved their heads in order to get a, quote, clean start on the film. They didn't have to do that. They didn't, but it worked. It was good. Sh- it was a good film. No, they were good films. Yeah. I'll give him that. Good God. Okay. Should we do that for the next episode? Should we do do that directly after this podcast so we get a fresh start on the day? What? What? Shave our heads or watch Toy Story 3? I'm down for both. <laughs> <laughs> Same time. Well, like I said, that was pretty much the end of uh, the brutal stuff. I mean, it continued happening. Let's not let's not forget this. This invasion of Nanjing lasted for months. That's months of murder, rape, genocide, months of it carrying on. But we've pretty much talked about the the worst bits of it. Mm-hmm. Now, General uh, Awane Matsui, I think is it. I think it is how you pronounce it. But I'll just say Matsui. Uh, general Matsui. He was the leader of the Japanese Imperial Army. He was the general commander, I believe. And he mm-hmm. actually, I don't know if I believe this, but he was apparently absent-minded to the total level of atrocity that his men had brought on Nanjing up to this point. He apparently didn't know that they were committing such terrible acts of <laughs> of rape and murder and genocide that he didn't apparently know that um mm-hmm. he supposedly gave this reaction to one of his civilian aides when he heard the news and the total news of the atrocities that were com- being committed he said this quote i now realize that we have unknowingly wrought a most grievous effect on this city when i think of the feelings and sentiments of many of my chinese friends who have fled from nanjing uh, and of the future of the two countries, I cannot but help. Uh, I cannot but feel depressed. I am very lonely and can never get in a mood to rejoice about this victory. Personally, I feel sorry for the tragedies to the people, but the army must continue unless China repents. Now, in the winter, the season gives time to reflect. I offer my sympathy with deep emotion to a million innocent people. Kind of a backhanded uh, apology. Yeah, I felt it was it was a decent it's a decent apology. It doesn't make up for it. No, it was all right at first until he said, "But we got to keep going." <laughs> you know, like it essentially went ride or die, bitch. You know what I mean? Like um, he also later confided in a Japanese diplomat. Uh, he said, "Quote: My men have done something very wrong and extremely regrettable." And he tried to, he, he was trying to make out that he didn't know what, what was going on. He didn't know the specifics. He knew that they were, you know, quite brutal, but he didn't know, the, or he claimed to have not known the specifics. But remember General Matsui's name. Mm-hmm. Now, the massacre lasted for months following the invasion, uh, the initial invasion, and it steadily died down until the troops were eventually mainly withdrawn in 1938. Mm-hmm. Estimates show that there were up to 300,000 victims of the crimes committed in Nanjing. It's a lot. It's more than a lot. How many How many fucking Japanese troops were there? Uh, I'm sorry, I, f- I totally forgot to look. There was quite a few. Um, I don't think there were 300,000. I, I was going to say, if, if this is 100,000, that's three people per soldier. Yeah, I think there was uh, around 100,000 possibly. I don't Jeez. think there was 300,000. Like, I'm sure there was a few Japanese soldiers who were worse than the rest who were racking up serious numbers on that front. Well, actually, to that point, there were two officers. and I was. I, was I, gonna... I know this story, so <laughs> I was going to bring it up. I think I know what you're going to say. Carry yeah, on. Yeah, I was going to leave it out. <clears throat> there were two officers that, uh, on the march to Nanjing, they decided to have a contest on who could be the first to kill 100 Chinese 
civilians or uh, just Chinese people, uh, the first to kill 100 Chinese people with a sword. Yeah, I know this. Actually, there were two papers in, Ch- in Japan that were reporting on this, and they were reporting on it like a sporting event. They would have regular updates saying, uh, one of them's killed this many and this one's killed this many. And they were, like I said, treating it as more of a sporting thing than um, a downright murderous massacre. So it's, it's a bit like Lord of the Rings, that bit in Lord of the Rings where Legolas and Gimli are having a competition, but so much more twisted. Yeah, Greg, it's exactly like that Peter Lord Jackson film, that <laughs> that fantastic <laughs> mark in cinematography, uh, the, the most, the, what, arguably one of my favorite film series. It's exactly I, I like think that. The Lord of the Rings was based upon the Rape of Nanking. I'll just say the I'll just say the similarities. What would Gandalf have been in this story? Oh, there's he would have been that Japanese leader who didn't know anything about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> completely ignorant. And and his apology was essentially him turning up on the eagles at the end, like oh, I could have done this a lot better. <laughs> Sir, you need to join in with the atrocities. Don't tempt me. <laughs> <laughs> after, after all, why shouldn't I keep it? <laughs> after all, why shouldn't I join? <laughs> Those two generals, actually, um, they lost count on, on who got to uh, 101st. Because once they got into Nanjing, they were murdering so many people that they lost count. And they actually ended up having a second contest of who would be the first to reach 150 people killed with a sword. Jesus Christ. And I bet they still not know who won? Uh, well, I don't. Uh, the, I think they, again, with all of the murdering and stuff, it was impossible to know who had reached it first. Yeah, it's not, it's not particularly important in the grand scheme of things. But It was just a stupid thing that... Uh, I think that those two were sentenced to death for war crimes. I believe. Not surprised. I believe so. Um, I didn't actually include that in the story, but but uh, to that point, you listeners may be asking yourself if there was any retribution for these terrible acts, and luckily there was to some degree. To some degree. Yeah. Um, well, shortly after Japan's surrender at the end of World War II, the primary officers in charge of the Japanese forces at Nanjing were put on trial, and this included the now-retired General Matsui who had claimed to not know anything of the atrocities until after they had been committed. And actually, General Matsui, after Nanjing, was taken out of Nanjing and instantly put into retirement. Oh, really? So he didn't even contribute at all in World War II. He had just been taken out of Nanjing and was retired. One of the other leaders, um, a Prince Asaka, he was made a a leader in the um, forces in Nanjing. And he actually went on to be a general, but he didn't actually hold any real positions of power because he was uh, royalty. Ah. He was just given a, a, you know... Military name. Yeah, he was just given a promotion and went off to have sex with his cousin, I bet. (laughs) Now... Matsui was indicted for, quote, deliberately and reckless, uh, recklessly ignoring his legal duty to take adequate steps to secure the observance and prevent breaches of the Hague Convention. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and this is obviously similar to the Geneva Convention. It's basically a convention on war crimes. They are not supposed to be committing war crimes. And if you're a general, you should be obviously making sure that your forces are not doing that. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um the other leader, like I said, uh, Prince Asaka, he, however, was not tried. Instead, because of his royalty, he was actually granted immunity. Really? Yeah, total immunity. Typical. Yeah, and he actually instead denied that there was a massacre at all. <laughs> 
<laughs> even though you could actually literally feel the world getting lighter because of the number of people dying. There was so Fuck. many souls leaving this world that it literally was spinning faster. He decided that there was no there was no massacre. What are you talking about? What are you, uh. they're, they're lying. <laughs> And he went off to not do anything. He went yeah, off into history like a fucking prick. Um, at General Matsui's trial, however, he claimed, as he had originally done, that he had not given any orders to kill Chinese POWs, and uh, he didn't know anything about the atrocities. And actually, even at the trial, he protected Prince Osaka, who was also definitely involved in the death of the POWs. Uh, he protected Prince Osaka by shifting the blame for the atrocities to the lower-ranking commanders, saying that uh, they had actually made the uh, direct uh, direct orders to kill all of the POWs. But Matsui's defense did nothing for him, and he was sentenced to death by hanging on November 12th, 1948, thus making him the final death in a story that arguably had absolutely way too many deaths a lot of death and a lot his, his get out was essentially it's almost like in like when there's a crime now it's like no i don't know i was asleep yeah it's like i was asleep the whole time i don't know yeah i don't know I, yeah. what are you talking about <laughs> never heard of that yeah that's my car yeah that's my gun yeah i fired it a couple of times i don't know what you're talking about yeah i was wearing a blue shirt but that doesn't prove anything <laughs> God, man, that's the story of the rape of Nanking. For the love of God, this is the worst story I've ever heard in my entire fucking life. It is fucking rough. That is really bad. Again, I'd heard of the story anyway, so as soon as you said the nine, I thought we were in for a bit of a roller coaster area. I have never buried my head in my hands more than when I was researching this. This is horrific. Mm -hmm. It is terrible. And it's so bad that people think it it's too bad to have happened. I agree. <laughs> you know, it's fucking <laughs> terrible. I can't, I wish it hadn't happened, but there's but it video. Happened. There's video of this happening. Silent black and white video recorded on a 16 millimeter camera that you can go and you can watch the whole thing. Uh, or you oh. watch a majority of it online and you can see the aftermath of all these bodies piled up being taken and all these injuries and bones and burns and gunshots one lady has a broken neck she's sitting up and she has a broken neck you could see the back of her neck just literally poking out the back Ugh. because she had been beaten i mean it's horrific man this is rough i bet it's all the more haunting in that old tommy silent footage as well that's the thing it was so haunting because i'm watching it like um, it's like it's going to be one of those joke videos where like a big scary face will pop up at the at the, yeah. uh, at the screen and go and scare you. Mm. And I was like, mm. this is horrific. I mean, it's just it. Like I said, it's haunting. It's it's disturbing. I mean, it mm. could it could make its own fucking horror film today. But I'm glad yeah. he did it. Um, I'm glad that I'm glad that uh, missionary recorded it because it was very important to spread yeah. this story. I mean, this story is awful, but it's. Definitely needs to be known. It would have been worse had it gone unknown. I totally agree. I think, I think I wonder how many events like this through history there were. Like look at um, the Mongolian army. Yeah. Their entire reign would have been this over and over again. Well, I mean, look at even uh, modern day stuff like, um, uh, well, we covered it not too long ago, the Tulsa Race Massacre. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, that happened. That was similar. There was death and murder for... Uh, essentially no reason um for of an entire <laughs> entire neighborhood so yeah. yeah i mean this stuff is crazy i mean imagine that how depraved people can be when they don't respect other people from different backgrounds when they don't see other 
other people as humans. That's the thing. That's the they, issue, they, isn't it? All, all morals go out the window. Yeah, and that's what I personally think is the issue with nationalism, thinking that your country's the best. The re- This is the particular reason that I don't agree with that is because then you start to see people as less than you. And then mm. when they those people start going through genocides, they're still less than you. So what does it matter? Yeah, you, de- you, de- you de- dehumanize them in your mind. Exactly. You dehumanize yourself to them, and you also desensitize yourself to the murders and the the, the graphic things that they'll go mm. through. I mean, this is might as well be happening in Israel. You know what I mean? Yeah. The oh, Israelites and Palestinian. Uh, you know, it's... Real bad. So, I mean, I think, personally, be proud of your country, 100%. Be proud of where you come from and stuff. Mm. I mean, your country is where you're from, and you want it to succeed and be a prosperous nation, I'm sure, but don't want it to be better than everyone else so that other people suffer. I mean, mm-hmm. this is crazy. This amount of suffering is fucking disturbing. Well, that's the thing. This is going to sound like a really hippy-dippy statement to make, but essentially, borders are just a made-up concept anyway. Well, they Every are, country's yeah. made up, you know what I mean? Like, someone's it, what, it, what, The Earth wasn't formed, and they're like, okay, this is England. That's America. This will be the continent of Africa. I don't no, know, man. I'm pretty sure up. there's a. I'm pretty sure like there's a, a, a passage in Leviticus that you know lays down the law that America <laughs> is 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 between Canada and Mexico, and that and that shall stay that way. <laughs> and America will be better than both because all Americans will think it. All I don't know, time. man. I I would argue that I would I would argue that that America is much better than Mexico. Sorry to our Mexican listeners, but I I know some <laughs> things happen in Mexico, and America is definitely better than Mexico. And I don't know about Canada. Canada doesn't really have that much. They just have like people on two sides of it, and then a big middle bit. <laughs> of the country that doesn't really do much. So it's not like they have much to work with, but they, you know. <laughs> what was you talking about nationalism? You're sounding very, like, you know. <laughs> no, I'm just calling out the positives and negatives of the country. I mean, Mexico, the huge negative is the cartel. Um, yeah. My uncle my uncle was robbed by a, a Mexican police officer coming home from Mexico. So he was what? robbed by a cop. Uh, <laughs> a f- a friends of mine in school actually had to flee Mexico uh, because of the cartel. So definitely, what did he do? Uh, not my uncle, somebody in, somebody in, in school had to, I don't, they just had to flee because the cartel will, <laughs> you know, I mean, enslave your family. And if you don't work for them, they'll kill you. Jeez. Um, it's terrible. Yeah. It's definitely run. It's like a mafia, isn't it? It's, it's, oh, like, it's exactly what it is. It's exactly what it is. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, Canada, Justin Trudeau. That's it. No, I'm just joking. I, if, he seems nice to me, but I seem so many people say oh, he was on Epstein's plane. I was like, well, yeah, so was everybody else. Yeah, I'm about to say, so was everyone. Tom Je- Hanks was apparently there, and he's Woody. Oh, come on. Tom Hanks is nowhere. He does not molest. He does not <laughs> molest. Tom Hanks is a fucking, you know what I mean? Maybe maybe during his character of Forrest Gump, because he had some issues, but not not Tom Hanks. <laughs> he's not that much of like a character actor that he gets into the role, and throughout the whole film, he stays as Forrest Gump. And that's when he was on the plane with Epstein. He did the same thing in Toy Story. He wouldn't move when his family came around. <laughs> <laughs> just, as soon as someone walks into the room, he, he just, just drops to the floor. <laughs> drops like a ragdoll. Is <laughs> <laughs> what? Tom, should stop doing this. Tom, Tom. Oh God, not again. <laughs> the, ch- the children are crying. They take him to the doctor. Think he has like epilepsy or something. He's like, he's, he just stays there staring. He's been in a medical coma throughout the entire filming process. <laughs> 
whenever someone leaves a room, it's just oh, thank God, gets up. Yeah, the studio, <laughs> the, the stu- film studio has to sneak in the audio equipment to do his voiceovers in the hospital bed. <laughs> he'll, he'll only talk when people are around. If someone pulls a cord on the back of his, I'm not the back, oh, pulls one of his hairs. That's only way to get him to speak. Or his actual natural cord. His wife has to like yank on that a little bit, and he's like, hey, and I'm up. <laughs> There's a snake in my boots. <laughs> Somebody poison the water hole. Andy! <laughs> I wish you'd stop calling me that. Well, that's the story of the rape of Nanking, for the love of God. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. We've got a couple of things to say for our... Um, uh, housekeeping. We got a, a couple of things, actually. So important things if you want to listen. If you're interested in being a part of the show. So, uh... Greg, yeah. Um, well, first of all, Greg, I hope you uh, not enjoyed it, but I hope you found the episode interesting. Oh, it's very interesting. It is really interesting. This kind of stuff is fascinating, I think, and there's a reason why these episodes, these gruesome episodes do get listens, because it, it, the, the depravity of man is inherently interesting. That's it true. Is. It's morbid curiosity. It's yeah, it's one yeah. of the biggest things. That's why true crime had its huge boom. Mm-hmm. And I hope to God it's slowing down because we need a history boom. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's coming. All right. So for some housekeeping, everybody, we've got a couple of things that we wanted to announce. Uh, first of all, I'm starting my job at a law firm in September. So Woo! yeah, on, I'm going to be a lawyer. Big up, big up. I'll, yeah, I'll be able to run this podcast like a good old lawyer. But... <laughs> The thing is, I'm going to be working full-time, so it's going to be really difficult to do the show. So what we're contemplating on doing is bringing on a research assistant. Uh, First of all, we can't pay anybody because we don't make money at the moment. But the show is steadily growing. So what we would do is offer the research assistant a portion of what we make Mm -hmm. in the future. We're, yeah. uh, we don't know how much yet. We don't. I mean, we're going to finalize details and stuff, but we're putting out the feelers there to see if there's anybody out there that would think they'd like to be a research assistant to help us out, basically, and to keep the show going and to mm. actually to increase its pace because we're hoping to get back to the week, ep- mm. uh, the weekly episodes. And obviously, you get credit for your work. Oh, 100%. Air. Yeah. I mean, you get 100% credit. Um, if we upload any of the research it'll uh, to the website, you get 100% credit there. I mean, it's obviously going to be that. And then obviously, any uh, we'll give a portion of pay um, once the show starts making. I mean, we're, we're already up to thousands of views, uh, listens a month. So we're very mm-hmm. close to getting to that tipping point where we can actually start making money, which is mm-hmm. the goal. We want this to be uh, a part-time job, basically, that we yep. really love doing and maybe in the future a full-time job. Um, so if you're interested in knowing about the research position, um, just email us at info at unfortunatehistory.com. Basically, It'll be researching one ep- uh, one topic a, a week, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, at the, basically to start out with, and for the foreseeable future, because we wouldn't put a lot on you, but just one topic. And essentially, it might end up being about four hours of work a week, mm-hmm. um, which would be just finding the topic. We would hand you all of the topics. We have all the topics topics ready. You would get the topics from us. And you would just bullet point the information for the stories, and then I would take that away and write our show scripts in that from that, and also in the articles and all that kind of stuff. So, mm-hmm. relatively simple. It's just a bullet pointed research assistant position. Mm-hmm. If you're interested, again, just email us at info at unfortunatehistory.com. Another thing we were thinking about doing, we don't know 100% about the, on, the, on, on this one yet or not, but we're going we're gonna to offer 
put the feelers out again if anybody would be interested in being an audio engineering intern for us. Now, mm-hmm. I know the, the term <clears throat> intern is such a tor- terrible name. Uh, it is a terrible name. But what we would offer um, is basically some really intense training to help you get to the point where you can edit podcasts very easily. Um, mm-hmm. I have everything set up basically. All it is is pretty much cutting and copying and pasting is pretty much the entire thing. Um, but I would train you specifically to do this audio engineering. And then if we need to, to provide you with some kind of recording software to help you get familiar with what we're using, then we can fund that as well. Mm-hmm. At least I can fund that. I'm speaking for Greg, but I can no, fund I'll, that I'll, as well. I'll, I'll work full time too. So that's yeah, why I so, can't do it. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, we would obviously, fu- we could fund it and get you the, pr- the programs and the equipment you need to handle this job. And again, this would probably be about three hours, four hours a week or so. Um, mm-hmm. not very intensive. It's just getting this done by the release date of the, of the show. I mean, we're putting out the feelers for that. If, if somebody's not interested, that's okay. We can actually do that ourselves and, um, it'd be fine. Um, it, it, we're just putting it out there to see if anybody would be interested in learning a bit more about audio engineering. We can help you out. And then obviously if the show picks off, picks up, uh, in the near future, we would obviously offer you a position as well, uh, an mm-hmm. actual paid position. So, yeah. um, you know, if you anybody's interested in either of those, just email us at info at unfortunatehistory.com, um, and we'll, you know, we'll chat about that. And it'd be fun to work with some other people as well, and it'll be helpful. I mean, I think we're already talking about possibly asking your dad. <laughs> yeah, but that's good at this shit, so... He's very intelligent. He He's very intelligent and very interested in history, so we might, yeah. have, we might have the research assistant position filled. You, de- um, you definitely got the wrong Skinner for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll see how it turns out. Uh, but yeah, email us if you feel like you want to know a bit. You want to know a bit more about that. Now, the last thing I have to say, I have to get a shout out to one of our new listeners, um, a good friend of mine actually, Lori Basham. She was um, in high school. I was in a metal band. I was in a couple of metal bands, but uh, I was <laughs> in a metal band called The Melee Dilemma. I think, it, I think that's what it was, yeah, Melee Dilemma. And she was the band mom, pretty much. She was the person that, like, drove us to gigs, and she bought us food, and she fed us, let us drink at her house and have parties, and just a ton of different stuff. And there's a couple of things. Um, she wanted me to roast her uh, on the podcast, so she wanted me to, like, say funny stories. I've got two stories that I could say that okay. I think would be that I think would be kind of funny. Um kids don't listen to these because they're (laughs) they're very bad um well one story involved a friend of mine named james and another friend of mine named i think his name was was it scott maybe Uh, maybe scott um and then and then a girl and it involved them three at Lori basham's house and weirdly i don't even know how the hell they got in this situation but turns out they ended up having a threesome on the couch upstairs what yeah, no, not not Lori Basham, not the mom. Uh, okay, it was uh, it was Scott James and this girl. I don't remember her name. And they ended up having a threesome, and his, uh, Lori ended up finding out, and she ended up banning all of them from her house because <laughs> <laughs> they were like, "You're not gonna fuck on my fucking couch." Um, really, really funny stuff. So that, that's kind of one. But I remember those guys telling me about that, and one of the Scott guy. Who was not? Who, who was more of a cool guy that everybody knew? And then James guy, who was kind of alone or nobody knew him. Uh, 
Talk about coming together. Jesus yeah, exactly. Christ, merging yeah, no, in the middle with yeah, like exactly. a human like, centipede. Well, they're turning different. her into like a Chinese finger game, like finger <laughs> finger puzzle. A Chinese <laughs> finger trap. Yeah. But, but, um, a nice so, throwback to the episode, China. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, always keeping it going, you know, keeping yep. it keeping it flowing. But um, <laughs> at one point during this threesome, this isn't about Lori, but at one point during this threesome, apparently... Uh, one person was behind the girl and one person was in front of her and the person in front of uh, the girl was for the person in front of her obviously was making use of her mouth in a way and uh, it it fell out of her mouth and the person behind the girl grabbed it <laughs> and said put that back in <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> put the, that back in so the, the loner grabbed the the popular oh guy's uh appendage <laughs> and he said from that point he was very it was very awkward um and then they all got kicked out of the house which is just really crazy um, <laughs> and and, uh, and now they're married i just wanted to get yeah, all guys. of them all of them <laughs> <laughs> i didn't want, i did i uh that's not really a lori basham story i just uh that was it, it involves her house though cuz it was crazy stuff uh second story though this one does involve Lori. I, uh, apparently, I don't know if I'm remembering this right. I'm sure she'll message in and say it. Uh, this is kind of personal, but I'll say it, I'll say it anyways because she said she didn't mind being roasted. Um, apparently, it's not even roasting. She's It's very impressive. She uh, was arguing with her son's dad. So um, Jake and Josh are my friends that were in the band, mm. and they're her sons. Their dad, at one point, she was arguing with him, and apparently... Uh, he got in a car and she smashed the fucking window open and pulled him out of the car. <laughs> what, dragged him out, what, dragged him out of the fucking car. <laughs> she was a fuck. I think she was. Where was she from? Detroit or something? No, uh, L'Oreal. She'll message it, but it was somewhere. Uh, she was hardcore. She was a hell of. <laughs> she was a hell of a woman. Uh, she will. <laughs> she'd kick your ass and also bake you fantastic uh, food. Um, Last story, last one. Let's see here. Um, okay, this one was funny actually. I got a, I got a couple more actually, but I'll tell this last one. Um, her son Josh, Lori had just bought a Crossfire, a Chrysler Crossfire. You know, a nice convertible car, um, mm-hmm. very fast, two seater, whatever. Um, and he asked to drive it out to pick up something, and she said okay. And he took the car out. Uh, I was there with her, just left alone while they went to do whatever they needed to do, probably picking up weed. Um, <laughs> and he backs out of the driveway, and all I hear from inside the house is Lori screaming, saying, Turn the fucking lights on! <laughs> apparently, Josh, who has terrible luck with cars, or he did at the time, because uh, he he landed on his own windscreen, windscreen and smashed it himself. He did. He backed out the car into the middle of this country road that people were very known for speeding on, and didn't yeah. have any of his lights on. And it was a black Chrysler Crossfire, <laughs> and it was just sitting there in the middle of the road. She's like, "Turn the fucking lights on!" Like she's about to get fucking T-boned out of nowhere, and she's screaming at the top of her lungs to the point where I kind of want to go home because I'm kind of scared to be there. <laughs> and she's like. Very, very intense. And then she walks in and's pretty much cussing and muttering under her breath that he's fucking ridiculous, fucking stupid motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because like I, I remember having a band bomb when I was in a metal band, and it's, it's very similar stories. It's crazy, <laughs> isn't it? They're all the yeah. same. It's like they get a manual. 
<laughs> and how to manage on how to manage five, a band five to six adolescents <laughs> yeah god you need a fucking manual for that i can mm. imagine all right guys well that's the story of pretty much everything to do with my life and the rape <laughs> of nanjing um both of those truly unfortunate they're very very unfortunate yeah we hope you guys enjoyed this uh, again if you're interested in learning about the research assistant and audio engineering internship positions let us know just info at unfortunatehistory.com send an email to that um if not, don't worry about it. We'll figure out a way to keep this podcast going no matter what, um, mm-hmm. because I'm really invested in it. Yeah. I'm so, um, yeah, I didn't mean to exclude you. <laughs> I am. I got up at nine o'clock in the morning for this. Yeah, that's <laughs> for true. Me, that's, that shows dedication. That's true. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you want to follow the podcast, just Google Unfortunate History or search Unfortunate History on any of the social medias. Please go to Facebook and join our private Facebook group, Unfortunate mm-hmm. History Podcast. If you want to follow me, just Google Cody Pennington or search Cody Pennington. Greg? Uh, if you want to follow me, just uh, on Instagram, I'm greg.skin93. It's been that for a while now. I haven't been as you know frantic with the name changes. There you go. Good job, Greg. Mm-hmm. Um, with that said unfortunately we gotta go so stay unfortunate everybody stay unfortunate guys ta bye <laughs>